Hi, this is Michael C. Patterson, your host of the MindRamp podcast, which examines various aspects of brain health and mental flourishing. I'm particularly interested in how art, music, visual arts, dance, theater contribute to our overall well-being. In this podcast, I want to consider the visual arts and the benefit of learning to see like an artist. I'll focus particularly on the work of Betty Edwards, an art teacher and author of the book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Have you noticed that kids' first pictures of people are drawn as stick figures? I bet your first pictures were the same thing, a circle for the head, a vertical line for the torso, and then more lines for the arms and legs. No depth at all. When kids are asked to draw an arm and a hand, we get a straight line with five smaller lines at the end to represent the fingers. What's going on here? Is that the way kids see torsos and arms and fingers as sticks? They get the heads right, basically. I mean, the head is a circle. Why can't kids see that the torso is a rectangle? Rectangle isn't hard to draw. No harder than a circle. The problem is that kids are drawing with their left hemisphere. When asked to draw a picture, they use the simplified concept of a body as summarized by the left hemisphere, our conceptual mind. They use a schematic representation of the body. They haven't yet figured out that what they need to do is suppress the left hemisphere imagery and learn to use the direct sensory experience of the right hemisphere. We know a lot about the differences in left and right hemisphere processing because of the so-called split-brain research that started back in the 1960s with the work of Roger Sperry and his student Michael Gazzaniga. Art teacher Betty Edwards read that early work on split-brain patients and realized that some of her effective techniques for teaching art could be explained in terms of hemisphere differences. She discussed these techniques in a popular book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. First published in 1979, the book did much to reinforce the popular idea that creativity is a right brain function. Betty Edwards was one of those rare children who could draw well from an early age. She got a lot of positive reinforcement for what was considered a natural talent. After all, her mother was artistic and her grandmother painted watercolors. Drawing just came naturally to her. But Betty recognized that it wasn't simply a a, a natural talent. Her ability to draw well had something to do with the way she looked at things. She knew that when she wanted to draw something, she needed to gaze at it for a while until a special something happened. And I'm quoting her now. If I wanted to draw something, she said, I had to do that. I never defined that, she says, but I was aware of having to gaze at whatever I wanted to draw for a long time until that occurred, end quote. Once that special something kicked in, it was easy for Betty to draw with a high degree of accuracy and skill. But what on earth was that? 
Whatever it was, Betty employed it well enough to become a practicing artist and an art teacher. But in her classes, she found that what came so easily to her turned out to be quite difficult for her students. Out of a class of 30 students, only a few actually learned to draw. Betty decided to take a hard look at herself and her students to see if she could figure out what it was she did that brought about that different way of seeing. What was her that? One of the first things she noticed about herself was that she couldn't draw and talk at the same time. Edwards did demonstrations for her class. She described what she was looking at, say a still life, an apple, then would demonstrate how to turn what she saw into a drawing. But she realized that as soon as she started to draw, her talking stopped. Even if it was mid-sentence, the talking part of her brain shut down when she needed to concentrate on drawing, on visual-spatial reasoning. Edwards also noted some interesting things about her students. The few students who did improve, for example, did so almost overnight. I'm quoting again. One week they were fumbling with stereotypic childlike images, she said, and the next week they could draw well, end quote. One would expect to see gradual improvement as the students learn drawing techniques, but the improvement came in a burst. It was as though a flashbulb went off in their brains. The students suddenly got it. They got that. They had hit upon an artist's way of seeing. They were blind, and then they saw. But why? Another clue presented itself purely by chance. Edward says that her students were having a particularly hard time with a figure drawing. Edwards thought they might benefit by trying to reproduce a master drawing, and in a moment of inspiration, she turned the picture upside down, instructing her students to copy the upside-down picture. Quote, to our great surprise, mine and the students, she says, the drawings were excellent, end quote. The students more accurately reproduced what they saw when the image they were copying was less recognizable, when it was less identifiable. They copied a collection of lines more accurately than they copied a picture of a person sitting in a chair. Same picture, just turned upside down to confuse the brain. Edwards also discovered that students could draw better when they concentrated on the negative space around an object, rather than the object itself. Again, their attention was withdrawn from the actual object they wanted to copy, and instead was focused on abstract, unidentifiable shapes. Then around 1969, Edwards began reading about the split-brain studies Roger Sperry and his student Michael Gazzaniga had carried out in the late 1950s and 1960s at the California Institute of Technology. Sperry and Gazzaniga tested patients who had undergone radical surgery designed to treat epileptics who suffered grand mal seizures. The procedure developed by neurosurgeon William Van Wegenen in the 1940s, involved cutting through the corpus callosum, the vast bundle of neuronal axons that connect the right and left hemispheres of the brain. The surgery effectively reduced the epilepsy, but it also left the patients with two brains instead of one. 
The corpus callosum, when intact, allows the two sides of the brain to communicate. Once the corpus callosum is severed, the two hemispheres are pretty much isolated from one another. The left side has no idea what's going on on the right side, and vice versa. Sperry and Gazzaniga realized that they could learn valuable lessons about the different functions of the left and right hemispheres by working with these patients. Though separated, Sperry determined that each hemisphere is, in his words, quote, a conscious system in its own right, perceiving, thinking, remembering, reasoning, willing, and emoting all at a characteristically human level, end quote. The discovery that really captured the popular imagination was that the two hemispheres seemed to function with, quote, different, even mutually conflicting mental experiences that run along in parallel, end quote. This work brought popular attention to the understanding of what is called, quote, the lateralization of brain function. Sperry's work made it clear that the two halves of the brain were specialized to perform specific tasks and that the left and right hemispheres seem to think in different ways. A better way to characterize the hemispheric differences is that they have very different approaches to perceiving the world. The right hemisphere sees things as they are as life unfolds. The left hemisphere develops a concept of reality and freezes it in time to better analyze it. The early split-brain work provided Edwards a scientific foundation on which to build her ideas about why some students learn to draw more easily than others. She experienced the sudden illumination that the capacity to draw depended upon, she says, quote, the ability to shift to a different-from-ordinary way of processing visual information, end quote. She characterized the shift as one that shut off verbal analytical processing and shifted instead to spatial global processing. Based on the understanding of brain lateralization at the time, Edwards called the verbal processing style the left mode or L mode to indicate that it functioned largely through processes in the left hemisphere, and spatial and global processing was the specialty of the right hemisphere and was dubbed the, quote, right mode or R mode. Edwards points out that subsequent research indicates, quote, a less clear division of functions between the hemispheres than was thought to be the case at the time that she first developed her theories. Nevertheless, the teaching techniques worked. Edwards had discovered a model of brain function that explained the that factor she experienced as a child. It helped her figure out, she says, quote, how to enable all of the students in a class, instead of just a few, to learn the skill of drawing, end quote. She realized that she had to teach her students to control their brain processing in order to see like an artist. So what does it mean to see like an artist? As Edwards intuited, seeing like an artist involved inhibiting the suggestions of one part of the brain and instead following the advice of a different part. One of Edwards' early observations provides an important clue. As mentioned earlier, when demonstrating her technique, Edwards found that she stopped talking when she started drawing. 
The verbal part of her brain, usually considered to be largely a left hemisphere activity, was suppressed, while the cognitive functions that dealt with spatial relationships, the right hemisphere, were activated. Why would the two functions interfere with one another? What seems to be happening, and this is the key point, is that verbal descriptions of left hemisphere perceptions rely on symbolic, generic representations of the objects. This is why kids draw stick figures, because the left hemisphere only needs symbols to represent reality. It doesn't need to consider all of the messy and time-consuming details. A head is represented by a circle, maybe with a couple of dots for eyes. A line extending down from a head is sufficient to represent the torso. Lines extending from the upper part of a torso are arms, legs from the lower end. So drawing, as Edwards figured out, requires inhibiting the generic symbolic image and focusing instead on the unique details of actual experience. Students draw better when they draw what they see, not what their mind expects them to see. When a picture is turned upside down, the mind is confused. The simple representations don't work. They don't make any sense. The left hemisphere is flummoxed. So the right hemisphere takes over and simply tries to duplicate what it sees, what is actually there. The right hemisphere relies on sensory input not on conceptual cognitive input. When Edwards wanted to draw an example, she was unable to talk. She couldn't use both hemispheres of her brain at the same time. The speaking mode interfered with the drawing mode. This points out an interesting feature of hemispheric interaction. The verbal left hemisphere tends to dominate. It has a voice so it can grab our attention more effectively than can the silent right hemisphere. Edwards had to inhibit her voice brain in order to give her spatial brain room to operate. When an untutored artist attempts to draw a hand, they automatically activate the generalized icon of a hand, a stick figure hand. Why? Because the primary job of our brain is to identify objects in our environment. Once the brain identifies the object as a hand, its work is done. It's, it's only the artistic brain that wants the details. The search for sensory details, for lines, shapes, shadows, colors, takes extra time and effort. Here's where the problem arises for the aspiring artist. The invariant image of hand is the brain's shortcut representation of a model hand, one that is generic enough to represent all possible hands. In language terms, it might be something like five fingers stuck to an arm, or simpler still, five lines radiating from a single longer line. Our earliest attempts to draw a hand tend to duplicate this representation we draw a stick figure. The arm is a straight line coming out of the body. The hand is five short lines extending from the arm. Why is it that almost every novice artist draws a hand in the same way? Well, I suspect the answer is that five lines is the way the brain represents the image, the invariant representation of hand. Greater details not required, unless one tries to draw 
an artistic rendering of a singular hand. Betty Edwards realized that to effectively draw a hand, the student artist needed to ignore the initial instructions from the brain and force the visual processing apparatus to look at the hand in a different way. Rather than rely on the ready-made summary of the details, the artist needs to ask the brain to disaggregate the image, break it up into its component parts, reduce it to the visual elements of edges and shadows. Normal visual processing, the approach the naive student takes, is designed to help humans navigate the world, not draw pictures of the world. Normal vision is very good at giving us sufficient information about what is going on in our external environment, but not at all good at providing the information would-be artists need to translate images of three-dimensional objects onto two-dimensional surfaces. Edwards saw this as a conflict between L-mode and R-mode processing, with the dominance of L-mode preventing the mind from engaging the more creatively useful R-mode. The artist's way of seeing the hand is to focus on the specific, unique visual cues that make this hand unlike any other hand in existence. The artist sees lines, edges, negative space, contrasts, highlights, gradations of shadow, and so on. The important concept here is that specific creative objectives sometimes require different cognitive skills than the ones our brains automatically employ in similar real-life situations. If we could consistently recognize when this happens during the creative process, we could learn to more effectively switch out of normal processing mode and into a more creative mode. Just as drawing students need to see like artists, for example, music students must learn to hear like musicians and focus on the individual elements of timbre, pitch, rhythm, and harmony. Rather than looking for patterns and commonalities in these situations, artists and creators look for specifics that look beyond the patterns and see the unique identity of individual elements, looking beyond the forest to see the trees. So, to see like an artist, learn to suppress your conceptual brain and see the world through your sensory, experiential brain. Model your drawings on what you actually see in the real world, not on the generalized models of the world created by your left hemisphere. As Betty Edwards advised, draw from the right side of your brain. <laughs>